Resurrection Sunday. The accounts are, are given in all four of the Gospels of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ and, and really shouldn't be surprised because as we read through the New Testament, you see that the resurrection was at the center of, of, every, of all the preaching, all the missionary effort. It was based upon the fact that Jesus Christ had risen from the dead and that he was, that it, that he was a living Lord, that he was God come to earth in flesh. And it was the Son of God. That was that's the center of the message, the center of the message of, of all the New Testament. And indeed, it's the center of the gospel today. Because without the resurrection, we, um, we are no different than any other religion. We're just, uh, we're just looking for uh, some place to memorialize and be there. But the tomb is empty, and we no longer go to a place where he was, is buried. He just stayed there for a weekend, man. He's alive. So as we look at the gospel accounts, each, each gospel has something really unique, uh, a unique perspective upon that first uh, resurrection morning. It's, it's in the uh, John account, John chapter 20, verse, the first 18 verses, that uh, we see Peter and, and John race into the tomb. And that's kind of, I, I kind of get a kick out of this, especially as you get older and, and knees go crazy. Peter was one of the older disciples, and John was the younger disciple. And John takes a, makes a note of, hey, I outrun him to the tomb. You know, what's a big deal there, John, with that? But they race to the tomb, and then John has the account of, of Mary meeting, encountering Jesus in the garden afterwards, and, uh, and the interaction between Jesus and Mary. In Luke 24, the first eight verses, you have the two angels sitting inside the tomb, and when the women come to, to uh, put spices to uh, uh, anoint the body of the dead Jesus, the angels uh, look at them and say, why are you looking for the living among the dead? Now, all these, uh, each one of these are powerful and would be powerful, powerful Easter uh, messages. In Matthew chapter 28, one of my favorite accounts of the resurrection, you have the early morning, you have an earthquake, and you have in Matthew 28, it says that an angel, one angel, comes down and rolls the stone away, and now the gospel says it was, it was, a, it was a very great stone, it was a big rock, okay, and it says that this one angel rolls away this, and then it's sitting on the stone, I love to call that an angel with an attitude, and I, I, I can see the angel sitting up on the stone, slinging his, swinging his legs, you know, as the women come there. And then I'm going to want you to go with me this morning, though, to the book of Mark, because it's the Mark account that I want us to focus on this morning. And we're going to look at the first eight verses and then zero in in a couple of these verses. It says, and when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Salome, had bought sweet spices that they might come and anoint Jesus, Jesus' body. And very early in the morning, the first day of the week, they came to the sepulcher at the rising of the sun. And they said among themselves, who shall roll us away the stone from the door of the sepulcher? And when they looked, they saw that the stone was rolled away, for it was very great. And entering into the sepulcher, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, clothed in a long white garment, and they were affrighted. And he saith unto them, be not afraid, or be not affrighted. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, which was crucified. He's risen. He's not here. Behold the place where they laid him. But go your way. Tell his disciples and Peter that he goes before you into Galilee. There shall you see him 
and he said, as he said unto you. And they went out quickly and fled from the sepulcher, for they trembled and were amazed. Neither said they anything to any man, for they were afraid. Father, now let your Holy Spirit be our teacher, I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Now, look in verse 3 and 4, because it's verse 3 and 4 that I want to focus on. It says, and they asked who would roll away the stone. As the, uh, the, the, the accounts in the gospel, when these women were going to the garden that first day of the week morning, it's a lot different than the way we came this morning to worship. We came in celebration. We came in worship and in praise and honor of the living Lord. But they came quite differently, literally, to the garden. It had, been, uh, it had been Friday that they had seen the one that they had trusted would be the Messiah, that they trusted was the Messiah, that they had believed in, that they had seen perform miracles, that they had heard teach like nobody else. And they watched Friday as he died on the cross and his body was put in this tomb. And with his death died their dreams, died their hopes, died all the anticipation and what they looked for. And instead they were left with questions, they were left with confusion, and they were left with great fear. Because they knew that the Romans didn't just take out the leader, that they would pursue all those who were also followers of this man, and they thought the Romans would, would be, surely be coming for them next. That was Friday. So they waited then through the Sabbath, and then early on the first day of the week, they come to finish the job. Because Jesus was quickly placed into the tomb Friday afternoon before the sun went down, they didn't get to anoint the body the way they intended to and wanted to. It was a halfway job. And so they came to finish it, but they came early because they wanted to get it over with and done and be out of there lest they were caught there. And they came with their confusion and they came with their questions. And the great question for these women that morning was this. The great question was, who's going to roll away the stone? Because a stone was very great. Now, I'm aware today and I really believe that there's still a lot of great stones that's in people's lives that's keeping them from getting to where Christ is. These women couldn't, they, they were concerned, they couldn't get it. They were anticipating going in and finding the dead body, but they wanted to get where he was and there was a, something that hindered them. And today there's a lot of people that know and believe and have heard, they have heard it said that Jesus is alive, that he wants a relationship with them, but there's still things that hinder them. There are great stones. There's stones of unbelief and doubt. I had a good friend, we talked often. He would come and talk to me and he said, Jerry, I... I just, I, I, have a, I have a hard time believing this creation thing there in Genesis because that goes against everything I was taught in school growing up. There's no way that could all take place like that. I want to believe the New Testament. Can I just forget all the other? But I want to tell you something. And there's people in our, in our modernized religion and in our politically correct worship today, there are those that would say that. Hey, it's okay. Just take the new. You don't have to worry about the old. I want to tell you something. That is a lie from hell because the New Testament is built upon the truths of the Old Testament. And the truths in the first chapters of Genesis are foundational truths. 
They lay out the, that man, the sin of man, the fall of man, and they lay out God's plan of redemption, how an animal, an innocent animal was slain and the blood was shed to provide covering for Adam and Eve. And that's a picture of Jesus Christ, the sinless lamb of God, dying on the cross for my sins and your sins so that his blood not covered in the skin, but his blood would cover us with his righteousness and not our goodness. And there's oftentimes, it's, 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 this, uh, it's this stone of doubt. I, I don't know what I can believe. I don't know what I can trust. Our unbelief that hinders people coming to where Christ is. And it can be a tremendous stone. And people struggle with it. And sometimes that's the obstacle that keeps them from coming to Christ. There's a stone of business or distraction. And I believe that oftentimes, I don't, I don't think people necessarily think, well, I'm just going to... Um, forget God. It's not that they just don't believe in God. They, 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 they know that there's a God of some kind out there. And maybe they even know there's a God of the Bible out there. And they fully intend to, to, to check him out and to get into it sometime. But right now, they're just busy with life. And life can get you busy and keep you busy. And sometimes it's that busy, and it's nothing, listen, there's nothing wrong with earning, with working. There's everything right with working and earning a living for your family. I understand that. But, some, but, but not only that, but sometimes the enemy gets our lives full of, of distractions and of busyness, and that can keep us from coming to work. the living Christ has everything for us. There's stones of doubt and unbelief. There's stones of distraction. There's stones of busyness. There's stones of hurts and wounds that hinder people from coming to where Christ is. And this is, this is a hard one. I know that, that the hurts of, of loved ones, maybe the hurts of church families. There's many people this morning that in their area, they aren't in church anywhere. They believe in Christ. They believe in the, that, there's, that he's alive. They believe in the Bible. But they have been wounded and hurt in past fellowships. And they have said, I'm, I can't handle that anymore. I'm not going to risk it anymore. I'm not going to get involved with the church family anymore because I'm not going to be hurt like this. And that cuts, that cuts to my heart. And if it cuts to my heart, that's simply as a pastor, how it must cut to the heart of our heavenly father. Listen, a people that has been forgiven much and walks in the freedom of the cross and of Calvary should be the most forgiving and understanding people there are. How dare us get on our religious high horse and turn our nose up and look at somebody and say, well, look at them. Come on now. Just yesterday was talking with them. Um, with, with someone about a precious, precious person. And the person is needing to get involved with a, with a Christian family in a, in a, in a situation with, a, with a, a group of Christian people. And this person said, I, they'll judge me. They won't accept me. And the friend said, but, but that's not what Christians, that's not who Christians really are. And, they, and this person said, no, but that's what they do. Now, that's not all. That's not every Christian. I know that. I know that. But you and I both know what I'm saying, right? We, we know that. Listen, there are stones of hurts that are keeping people. People will disappoint you, even good people. I tell people, I, I would never disappoint you intentionally. I've disappointed my wife more than any other person in the world. I know that. I've hurt her more than any other person. I love her more than any other person. But I've hurt her, and, and most of those times, I won't say all of them, but most of those times have not been intentional. 
I will let you down. I would never do that intentionally. But if you look at me long enough, you're going to find something. You're going to say, I can't believe Pastor Jerry did that. Yeah? I mean, that's just the way we are. And you know that. But we get these expectations. And then when, I, then when, when, when somebody in the family lets you down, and then we just chuck them all off. Well, they're all like that. Years ago, where I worked, and I worked with one of the coworkers I worked with, and uh, Wendell worked with me. We, Wendell and I were, were blessed. That's how I got to know him. We worked together for a lot of years. And um, this person came to me and said, said Jerry, said there's a new family moved into the, to the town, and uh, they've got a lot of kids, and said uh, they're looking for a church home, and said, I just don't think they'd be comfortable in our, in our church because they've got a lot of problems. But I told them they'd be comfortable in your church because y'all accepted people like that. <laughs> I took that as a badge of honor, but I couldn't help but say, yeah, I know, because look who pastors down there. And I really did. But I want to tell you, as, as believers, we have this tremendous privilege of sharing the grace and the mercy and the glory and the freedom and the forgiveness of Christ and walking that out with each other. But there are per people who have great stones of hurt and wounds that are keep them from coming to the Lord. And you may be here this morning, and that may be you. You may be saying, hey, I'm going to go. I'm going to go because I need to be there at Easter. Well, you know how that is. Or I'm going to go. But down inside, you've, you've built up some walls. You say, I'm not going to let church people hurt me like that anymore. I'm not going to let them so-called Christian people hurt me like that anymore. People will, not intending to, they will. But I want to point you to one. He's the one that Janice Sailors keeps pointing people to. She looks and she says, you know, I, I'm not much of a counselor, but I can really brag on my Jesus and point people to him. And in that, there's transformation. But there's stones of hurt and wounds that are keeping people from getting to Christ. There's stones of, of, of business and, and, and distraction that are keeping people from coming to Christ. There's stones of doubt and unbelief that are keeping people from coming to Christ. And then there's a stone of fear that are keeping people from coming to Christ. Um, when the women got there, they were, they were worried. Who's going to move the stone away? Who's going to move the stone away? And when they got there, they found that Jesus had uh, already moved the stone away. And I want to tell you this morning that our God is still in the stone moving business this morning and today. He can roll those stones away. And it's this stone of fear that I just want to focus on for a little while, I invite you to, to focus on with me on this glorious morning. It's in both Mark and in Matthew that the angels say to the women, they give them this, they, they, they tell them, fear not, and they, they speak peace to those who are frightened there. In fact, I was reading recently that the most often used command of God in Scripture in other words, the command that God tells people more often than anything else. I thought it would probably be, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, blah, blah, blah. It's not. You know what it is? Don't be afraid. Fear not. Fear not. Don't be afraid. Did you know that there's been identified at least 527 named or identified fears, types of phobias? that have been listed. And that's not from watching Monk. <laughs> I, you know, that's not from watching him. You, you, know, you, know, you know my, I'm afraid of spiders. You, you know that. Those of you who know me long, 
And uh, we were just sitting on the couch the other night, Barbie and I just having a lovely evening, I don't know, just enjoying Jesus and, and television, I guess, probably. She was reading me, and I'm sitting there, and I'm just almost asleep, and all of a sudden, she puts, a, she finds a black piece of fuzz, looks just like a spider, and she puts it on my shirt, and she says, a spider! Yeah, you know, and, then she, and, and then she repented. Uh, 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 but, but my fear of, of, of a, spiders, and that's called... Um, Arachnophobia, that's what it is. And, and I know that some of you, there's a fear of, there's claustrophobia, right? Some of you can't stand to be, to be in a tight place. Are your hands held down? Ah, MRIs. I, I've had MRIs before, no problem. But, but recently, if not, not too long ago, I had to have an MRI, probably checking my head, but it's upper body. So they stick me head foamless in that machine. Now, I don't know if the machines haven't got smaller or if my frame has gotten larger. But they, but they wheeled me in and they, and they said, oh, just relax, you can go to sleep if you want to. And then they stand outside and beat on it with hammers. Wham, 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 it sounds like it, right? And they get you in there, your hands are down by your side, you can't scratch your nose, you can't do anything. And I'm sitting there with this thing here and I'm praying, Lord Jesus, I've confessed every sin I ever remembered and I prayed for every one of you. And it was still, and, you know, and they're saying, they only got about 10 more minutes and I'm, oh my goodness. So I know some of you deal with this fear of claustrophobia. For me, it was arachnophobia. Some of you, I, I, this is a new one I, I discovered. We, Barbie and I can be in bed asleep, and if the power goes off, uh, immediately, she wakes up. She wakes up, and, 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 uh, and she smothers, and she'll, she'll have to go get to the door or just get where she can get air. And there is, there's a nictrophobia that's the fear of darkness. Now, I'm not diagnosing her. I know better than that. I tried that about 47 years ago. <laughs> Learned that lesson real quick. She's perfect, but sometimes she gets scared of the dark, all right? And I, and I learned, I, I ran across some new phobias I never heard of before. I love this, and Fred, you'll like this one. There's one called uh, homiliophobia. It's the fear of sermons from homiletics. <laughs> There's actually people that have a fear of sermons. Now, no, you don't have that. Don't come up here and tell me, I've got that thing. I can't come anymore, preacher. But there's another one. I ran across this. It's called ecclesiophobia. It's the fear of churches. People have, and I love, this is my favorite, phobophobia. Fear of fears. Fear of fears. And, 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 and you know, whatever, whatever they are, there's a fear of rejection, Fear rejection, and it's a, it's, a, it's a great, it's a big fear. It's a big fear. And there's, there are people who say, people say to me often, uh, if, 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 you, if, you know, if you knew who I was, if you knew what I've done, uh, you just wouldn't want me to be in your church. And I'm going to say to them, by the grace of God, if you knew who I was and what I'd done, but it's under the blood, but if you knew that, and, and, and that's where, again, grace and mercy, but there's this fear that if people really know me, if they know the sins I've committed, if they know the things I've said and done, they wouldn't want me to be a part of their church. You know what? I wouldn't want to be a part of that church either because I like to go where it's grace and, and God's truth. Real people, I have service this morning, first service, I told one, I said, I, I just enjoy the realness. You're just really with your struggles. There's a fear of rejection. There's a fear of speaking in before people. All kinds of fears. But as we get... I said this morning, as we get older and bigger, and I realize that's probably true for me, but as we mature, okay, as we mature and get older, we usually learn how, Claudia's laughing at me already, I'll turn over here, I'll preach to this side for a minute, but, but we, learn to, we learn to get suave and sophisticated with these fears, right? Because adults, we don't talk about them that much. Now, they're there, 
But we just don't talk about them like our kids do or like our grandkids. My grandkids are the best education you could ever have. Now, I've got our youngest one, a four-year-old Taylor, and she, uh, she can tell you about things, things that maybe, maybe she's seeing in the spirit world. I don't know, but there are things that's not there. Kids tell you about boogeymans and about fears, but, but we get better than that. I was thinking of Taylor. It reminded me of this story, four-year-old girl, same age as Taylor, little four-year-old girl. And it's summer, and uh, she's, it's time for her to go to bed, and the mom is putting her to bed. But it's, it's thundering, it's lightning, and it's coming up a storm. And the little girl is kind of scared. And when the mama come in and tuck her in, the little girl said, Mommy, can, can you sleep with me tonight? Can you just stay in here, Mommy? I'm scared. And the mama smiled and went over to her and gave her a big hug and reassured her and patted her on the head and said, Honey, said, you're going to be okay. said, Mommy's got to sleep in Daddy's room tonight. It's quiet. Mama walked over to turn off the light and she heard the little girl say, the big sissy. (laughs) I just love it. (laughs) I thought of Taylor when I heard that story. But but fears. But we look at from Genesis chapter 15. God appears to Abram and God tells Abram, don't be afraid. From all through the scriptures, we hear God saying, fear not, don't be afraid. Old Testament, New Testament, we hear, we see the angel Gabriel saying to Zechariah and to Mary, fear not, don't be afraid. And then we come to the, to the resurrection accounts this morning in Matthew and in Mark, and we hear God saying again, don't be afraid. It's God's reassuring peace. It's his reassuring presence. It's his reassuring power. Don't be afraid. You don't have to be afraid this morning. It's there God's still there to roll the stone of fear away so that we can come to where the living Lord is. These fears can be crippling. They can be paralyzing. For me, I've shared with you a story oftentimes as a, as a young boy. How I was just afraid of, uh, I was afraid of dying. I, it was real fear. I was eight, nine years old. And, uh, and I can remember, I, I've told you how I was, watched too many Western. I was sure that Indians were going to scout me. And now I'm 68, and it looks like they have. But they didn't. But I was just afraid. I was afraid to go to sleep with that, with my fears. Well, I'm so aware, too, that these fears can not only, uh, whether it's a fear of dying or what, but fears can keep us from living. They can keep us from stepping out and going to where Christ is and receiving what he has from us. That's a, that's a tremendous, tremendous hindrance. I ran across a story. It's a, it's a Christmas story, but it has a great Easter message. And I don't know why this is the truth. And I, I told him at sunrise service, I woke up this morning singing Christmas songs, Christmas carols. I really did. And I was, I, I was, it was like, it was like Christmas to me. Matter of fact, when I went, I almost picked out a, I've got a blue tie with, with yellow in it, and I thought I'm going to wear that tie, but it was a Christmas tie. And I love it said hope, but then it said something about the whole little town of Bethlehem. And I thought, now, if I do that, they will, they will have me committed somehow. <laughs> but but, I, but I, I was thinking about Christmas. You know, we celebrate the birth of Christ, of Christ at Christmas, and it's altogether appropriate. But without the resurrection, the birth of Christ is meaningless. They go together. Without the resurrection, he's, he's not, he's not, we're not even celebrating the birth of a good man because without the resurrection, he's not, Jesus was not a good man. He was a liar and a lunatic because he claimed to be 
God. So we don't have the option of saying, well, he was just a good teacher. No, he was either the son of God or he was a deranged, crazy, or more worse than that, deliberately deceptive human being. But we know he was God's son. That's the resurrection gave that stamp of authenticity. But I ran across this story. Again, it's a Christmas story of an old church, uh, old uh, church uh, downtown, not downtown Blairsville, bigger town than that. And the highlight of the church is year was literally every Christmas when they did their uh, Christmas pageant. Let me pick it up there. Up there. Uh, the way that it worked is this. Every, uh, on Christmas Eve, everyone gathered in the huge sanctuary. And at the end of worship service, the pastors dim the lights. And uh, then the pageant begins down the center aisle. Uh, and so on this one particular Christmas Eve pageant, the congregation begins to sing Silent Night, Holy Night. And the procession begins, uh, of course, led by the angel of the Lord, followed by Joseph and Mary, who placed the baby in the manger. And then the shepherds and the wise men and all the little angels take their places. So sitting near the center aisle is a family known to everyone in the church. They're a huge family, and we're going to call them the Brinkers. And they're well known to all in the family because the Brinkers are world-class foster parents. Many a child who's been unwanted, abused, or just plain hurting has been placed in the Brinker home by the state. And sitting in the, at the center aisle in the pew that people pretty much reserve for the Brinkers, this Christmas Eve is a four, little four-year-old girl with two broken arms and bruises on her face. And it's the first time she's ever been in church. And when she hears Silent Night, sees the candlelight, and then sees the procession led by the angel of the Lord and followed at the very end by the little angels. She's so swept up in it all that she just steps out into the aisle and joins the procession towards the baby Jesus. Well, in the back of the, of the church is the head usher, and he tries to keep everything in order. And seeing that, he, uh, he thinks, oh my goodness. And he begins barreling down the aisle. But the angel of the Lord, seeing what was happening, steps forward and although she didn't say halt, you knew the way she held out her hand. And the head usher stopped. Not even him was going to go against the angel of the Lord. And so the angel of the Lord stepped down into the aisle. And she reached out for the, the hand of the little four-year-old battered child. And she said, don't be afraid. It's okay. Come up here. I have something to show you. She leads this little child up to the manger. And she says, this is Jesus' birthday, and we're a church, and we're celebrating his birthday, and you're perfectly safe here. You don't have to be afraid. And then the 17-year-old angel of the Lord said to the little girl, the first time I came to this church, I came with the Brinkers too, and I was hurting, and I was scared. But I learned that the Brinkers are a safe family, and that this church is safe, and that here you don't have to be afraid. She didn't ask the little four-year-old girl, would you like to hold baby Jesus? The little girl's eyes lit up. So the angel of the Lord lifted this four-year-old girl onto Mary's lap. She reached into the manger. She took out baby Jesus. And the angel of the Lord placed the baby Jesus into the arms of a battered child and said, don't be afraid. And that morning, that church was a church. Wow. 
The God of the open tomb, the God who rolls away the stone, whatever is keeping us from Jesus is not only a God who gives us hope in death, but he's a God who gives us hope in living. He's the God of our daily lives. The God who gives us victory over the death is the God who gives us victory in life. Whatever those things are that are hindering you, whatever those things are that are keeping you from breaching Jesus. Are you disappointed with your life? Some people, uh, you don't have to be old. Just talked recently with someone Said, pray for this person. You can be young. And said, this person feels so useless. Don't feel like they have a purpose. Man, all the life before you. But you can be disappointed with life. I want to tell you, God has a redemptive plan for your life. And every life is valuable to him. And you have a purpose in his plan. Every one of you. You say, Jerry, I may have had it one time. But I've messed up too big. I've done too much. No, that's the enemy telling you that. Because God is saying, I love you. And you're still mine. And I want you. Are you disappointed with life? God can roll that stone away. Are you afraid? Fears? I talked about fears. Sometimes we're afraid we're going to lose our job. Afraid we'll lose ways of supporting our family. And I just want to tell you, the Lord wants us to know that our security, our provision is in him. He can do that. Don't let those fears cripple you. The worries about children about your marriage, about family. They steal your joy and steal your peace. Last Sunday night, Nate Over preached a great, great message. Oh, I thought it was super. And then he, in, in kind of close to that, he went to some of my favorite scriptures. He went to Philippians chapter four, verse six and seven, where it says, don't be anxious about anything. Don't, don't, let, don't worry about everything, but instead pray. Tell God what you need and don't forget to thank him for what he's done. But he, but he read it from the message and Craig's got that. Because there's a phrase in here that I want, I want to point out to you. And this is from, from Nate's sermon, sermon last Sunday evening. This is from the message. It says, don't fret or worry. Instead of worrying, pray. And look at this phrase right here. I thought it was awesome. Let petitions and praise shape your worries into prayers. Letting God know your concern. Let your... Petitions and praise shape your worries into prayers. And the God who rolls away the stones today is big enough. When life gets tough, our God is there. Life can't get much tougher than it was for these these people that we read about that first Easter morning. It can't get much tougher than that. uh, the, The one you've banked on, the one you've followed, the one you've trusted. Some, for some of them, is the one that they had given the last three years of their life, left their jobs to follow him. Left the way that security of providing for their families. Left the fishing nets. The fishing had been family business. They left the family business and followed him. Only to watch him die. Only to, to then to, to, to figure it out, hey, we're next. Where did we go wrong? We'll never trust anybody again. That was tough. Friday was tough. I can't imagine. I was thinking this morning, we heard that we were listening to the birds as, day, as daylight came, and I was thinking about, man, for that first resurrection morning, it, it, was, a, it was a somber, concerned, confused bunch of people who all of a sudden got hope, who all of a sudden had 
anticipation. All of a sudden, life again was worth living because he was alive. We sang this morning in the chorus, Darrell led, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. And I say amen and amen because we have a living Savior that is Lord, that's able to move the stones away that keep us from the Lord. And that gives us not only hope then, but hope now in him. When life has been tough, when the obstacles seem very great, remember the Lord's words more than any other command. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. I'm going to close with the book of John Chapter 11, and the situation is very familiar. It's Mary and Martha and their brother Lazarus, who is a friend of Jesus, and he's died, and he's now been in the grave. And Jesus comes. He wasn't there for his death, but now he's there. And Mary and Martha are so convinced that if he had been there, if he'd just been there. But Jesus had a greater plan. God had a greater plan. And so the words that he speaks to Martha in verse 25 and verse 26 of the 11th chapter of John are words that ring out to us, but, but they're really words that are personal to us too. Look at them with me. It says, now Jesus said to Martha, Martha, I'm the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Now, usually we stop there. But that's not all Jesus said. Because then Jesus gets very personal and he looks at Martha. And he says, can you believe this? Can you believe this? I was reading, I've, I've read, I heard, heard someone say this or I read someone said it. And I've looked in the best of my ability. It's probably true. After his resurrection... When Jesus showed himself to the disciples, showed himself to the women, showed himself to us. As a matter of fact, one of the gospel accounts says he showed himself to over 500 at one time. As we read this, it seems that Jesus is always revealing himself to those who love him. Wow. This morning, Jesus gets really personal with us. He is the resurrection. He is life to those who trust him and believe him. And this morning, it's almost like he's looking and just pointing right into my very heart and right into yours. And he said, that's who I am, but it's all for nothing unless you believe it. Unless you believe it. Wow. I can't think of a, of a better time than right now if you've never asked Christ to come into your life on this Resurrection Sunday morning to ask him to come in and to let him not only bring new life, but his life into you, into your life. Would you pray with me? Father, as we look in amazement and, and wonder at the gloriousness of your word and of your truth, that you are the resurrection, that you are life. In you is embodied life. In you, you not only roll the stones of fear of death, hell, and the grave away, but you roll the fear of living away. And we can live in victory as you, with you as our Savior. Now, I'm going to ask that every Christian just be praying. You're probably going to be praying and thanking the Lord for the resurrection and for who he is in your life. 
But I'd ask you to pray for one other thing with every head bowed and every eye closed. It's very, very likely that there are those here this morning that have never asked Jesus to come in their life. It may be that you believe, then you know you believe in God and you believe even in the God of the Bible and you, you know those things sound good but you've never personally said, God, come into my life. And Jesus wants to be very personal with you this morning. It may be you're a young person and the things you're dealing with are tough. It may be that you're middle-aged or older and you're dealing with those stones of hurt or wounds or doubt or unbelief or busyness and distraction. And God said, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm able to roll that stone away and let you see, not only see, but that you come to Christ. If that's you this morning, he's waiting for you and he's asking you, can you believe this? So right where you are, as Christians pray, and I'm not, going to, I'm not even going to look around. If this is you, you need to ask him to come into your life. Say, Pastor, how do I do that? I would just pray and say, say Jesus, I, I need you. I'm a sinner. It's pretty easy. We've all sinned. Come short of the glory of God. But I would say I'm a sinner and I need you to forgive me. And I commit to you the rest of my life. What does that mean? It means that you're committing to follow him as Lord. It's a big job, big deal to trust him with that. But that's what he's asking you. Can you do that? If that's you, just say, Jesus, come into my life right now, this Easter Sunday morning. And their head's still bowed. And again, I'm not even going to look around. But that's an act of your will. And now just as an, as an outward act, a visible sign to you, if that's you, just raise your hand and put it right back down. And say, I ask Christ to come in my life. And I trust him as Lord, and I trust him as Savior. Just put him right back down. Thank you, Lord. And we give you glory. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.